0: Today we're doing part two of my interview with James Johnson and if you did not yet hear part one please go back to hear part one and to hear about the innovative and gifted ways that Mr. Johnson actually educates students in math and today we're going to pick up where we left off And he's going to give us some success stories and examples of how he's making a difference in students' lives. And, you know, James, I know it's hard in in the line of work that you're in because, we know, across the board, teachers are generally underpaid. They're undervalued. They're underappreciated. And yet you are making a difference in the lives of students and in the lives of future leaders. And I know that sometimes it feels like it's only maybe one student at a time. What I want you to share with us, though, is maybe a story about a student, a success story that keeps you going and keeps you inspired. Maybe someone who started off kind of rough and they made it some kind of way and they came back to tell you what happened in their life. So what's what's an example of that?
1: There's been a few. I would like Mm -hmm. to say there's been a cast of hundreds. And through my children, I typically, my children were in school with uh, many of the students that I taught and so through my children I get anecdotal information and stories, uh, hey tell your dad uh, the following, and typically they're they're happy that they had me because some way I inspired them. Mm -hmm. I can think of a couple of situations, one young man came to me, I think at the time he was 16, 16 and a half, he was supposed to be almost a junior in high school but he barely had freshman credits, He was pretty dejected. I was his advisor and math teacher, and I pretty much read him the riot act, and I asked him, you know, what have you been doing? This is not sufficient. He kind of looked at me with open eyes, and I said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to show up to school early. You're going to pursue me. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, wherever I am at in this school, you're going to find me, and you're going to ask me questions. So I gave him a methodology. You're going to stay late as i told him this he was slumped down in the chair and i told him sit up you know you're 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 talking to a man i want you to respond like a man so sit up straight in the chair so he kind of straightened up and i said can you agree to do the following things and he said yeah i guess so so i thought okay we'll see how this is going to work the next day he was there so i said hmm and i noticed he was staying late he was asking questions I don't think anything I told him at that time, or as I reflect back on it, was super motivational and uh, I kind of bit into him a little bit, but he responded to that. That young man graduated, he acquired his credits, he got in a program called Running Start, which allows you to take uh, college classes at the same time you're in high school and the school district pays for your, your classes. When he graduated from high school, he also graduated from community college with his associate's degree. And uh, next thing I know, he had applied and was granted entrance to the University of Washington. He graduated from the University of Washington. While he was there, he got in student government. So he just loved being participating in that whole process. He is now an English teacher in Atlanta, Georgia. He and I keep in contact. And he's proof positive that it's not where you start, it's what you do to catch up and then where you finish. And he is so appreciative of the lecture that I gave him, and and not just the lecture, but I gave him a pathway, I gave him a methodology. Here's what you need to do, and here's how you need to do it, and oh, by the way, if you ever need any assistance, I'm there for you. And he just took advantage of that and would frequently come and talk to me during lunch, before school, after school, he had a ton of questions. Now, what I didn't realize at the time about this young man, he lived about 30 miles away from the high school that we were going to. A few years later, I asked him about that. And he said, well, I was living in the shelter with my mother. I said, you live in the shelter? He goes, yeah, um, there was some family altercation. His father died in some kind of tragic shooting. Um, Mother lost the ability to live in the apartment. So they were living in the shelter he was traveling 30 miles on the bus to get to this particular school because it was a credit recovery school and so he wanted so badly to do something for himself and for his mother so he was highly motivated so when i gave him a pathway and told him that i'm going to be there for you if you ever have any questions he took advantage of that and today he is a teacher a math language arts teacher in atlanta georgia In middle school, he's doing exceptionally well.
0: That's a really, really inspiring story. And and James, you know what? It, It wasn't just the methodology and the pathway and the strategy, it was the other part you said. You were right there with him, you were alongside of him on the journey, providing guidance and counsel. So often, like parents dropping their children off at Sunday school, but they don't go into the church building with them or whatever. But you were right there, walking that journey with him and providing what he needed. So he didn't have to follow the path alone, so to speak. And I really do think there's something important about that.
1: That's a critical piece of closing the achievement gap, is that educators have to make themselves available. Now, most educators, like, I already work too hard, and if I have students coming to me, well, why did we get into this game? We got into this game to lift and inspire young people. And so uh, the reality is, given the kind of apathy out there that a lot of students have and, and where they're at, you as a teacher have to give more of yourself and make yourself more available. I eat lunch in my classroom every day so students can come in and they can talk. Sometimes in the morning, I have particular days during the week where I cook pancakes in the morning. Sometimes students who come in my classroom are not even my students, but they come in for the pancakes. And so as we're cooking pancakes, we're also talking about math. And so my classroom becomes a safe place. But they clearly know we're here to, yes, enjoy ourselves, but we're here to talk about math. So now... Coming to school and math, it can be related to having some enjoyment. And I think that piece of being there for students, letting them know I have you, I'm not going to I'm not willing to just let you drop is so necessary for children of today.
0: Absolutely. And James, I know that one of the reasons that you are still remaining in the school system is related to the superintendent of your current district. And your superintendent is very motivated to make a difference in these at-risk populations. Even though that's the case, it's still difficult to change the current education system for children at risk. Say a little bit more about that, what you see the superintendent doing and what the future looks like.
1: The superintendent of the Seattle School District is uh, her name is Denise Juneau. Superintendent Juneau is a member of the Blackfoot uh, Indian tribe from Montana, Browning, Montana to be exact, uh, which I had an occasion to visit Browning, Montana this summer on a driving trip. She has declared in her strategic plan for the school district that one of her primary initiatives is to close the achievement gap, specifically of African-American males at all levels, so from elementary school through high school. She has very creatively obtained resources to build infrastructure. She's appointed a woman by the name of Dr. Mia Williams to be in charge of this whole program. So Mia now has a department. She has specific, uh, her direction is to come up with programs to do professional development for teachers at all levels to address this in glaring gap. Uh, superintendent Juno is the only superintendent in the history of the Seattle School District who has made this initiative a part of her strategic plan. Uh, it came as a shock to a lot of people Because once you put it in a strategic plan, various departments have to get in alignment and have to demonstrate plans to support that particular initiative. So that's gonna drive synergy at all levels in the school district. By her doing that, and by her forming a department that reports directly to her, she is putting people on notice that we're gonna have to do something new, not the same old thing that we've been doing in the past with disastrous results. And so new methodologies of uh, instructing students, new family engagement to try to get families engaged and invested in their children's education. So all those things that she's doing will have a result. And I think primarily when we look at her background, she is someone who came from a economically depressed area in Montana, and she has walked the path she knows what's necessary on the, from the standpoint, she knows how children look at themselves in, based on their circumstances. And she knows what makes a difference in the lives of children. She has not just you know, talking the talk, she's walking the walk by putting structure, infrastructure in place and resources to, act, to draw a line in the sand saying, we are going to address this head on and we're gonna make a difference. So I believe that over time, We're going to get more inspired young people. We're going to get more inspired families vested in their children's education. And as you know, Dr. Karen, it takes a village. So what she is attempting to do is she's working with the mayor of Seattle, Jenny Durkin. The city has an educational platform that works with the school district, uh, Seattle School District. She is bringing together different resources and stakeholders saying that we all must do something about this current situation. So I have to give her a lot of credit for her initiative.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like that's a good picture of that collaboration at work. And it would be very difficult for you to continue to innovate and do what you're doing without some of that top cover in place. I would say that this is a perfect example of what you're even teaching the students in the math class through the collaboration piece. Right. So James, I know that one of the quotes you like Is by Emily Dickinson, and she said, imagination ignites the slow fuse of possibility. What is the relevance of that quote for you?
1: It's something that's so important that young people have to dream. They have to just think what's possible. And once they start to dream, they then start to think about what do I have to do? What do I have to do to make this dream come true? So many young people that I interact with, when I ask them about their aspirations, I usually get a shoulder shrug. They're not dreaming. They're not aspiring. Or what they'll tell me about is you know, football, basketball, or they want, to, they want to go into music. And I say, that's fine. What's your, what's your plan B? What's your backup plan? Um, why do I need a backup plan? Well, what if you get hurt? What if that doesn't work out? What are you going to do to supplant, you know, you to help you be successful? So it's critically important to inspire children. And I think so many of our children are not exposed to things. They, they don't go to museums. Many of my young people don't even know geographically they haven't been around the state of Washington. So they haven't been to the mountains. They haven't been hiking. They haven't taken a ferry ride. Many of those things inspire people. When I grew up in Chicago for a month during the summer, my mother would have me live with my sister. My sister was a medical librarian and she would just take me to museums, to plays. She was also a vegetarian. So I was a little kid who ate salami and bologna and whatever, you know, and I go to live with my sister. She didn't have any of that. So I had to conform to her expectations. She also didn't have a television. And I, I used to go over there and go, what am I supposed to do? She goes, well, look at all these books. Like, what am I supposed to do with them? She'd like, open one up. So sometimes just out of sheer boredom, I would open one of her books and try to do my own entertainment. But she had her own methodology. She knew I was a struggling student. So she was trying to expose me. She took me to films and to movies. And I was so happy that she said, we're going to go to a movie tonight. And I was, oh, finally, go do something that's fun. But when I would go to the movie... I realized they're speaking a different language and I can't understand what they're saying. So I'm poking my sister, saying, I don't understand. She has you have to read the subtitle. What what is that? The words below. So again, in her methodology, she was exposing me to different things and she was igniting my imagination. So once young people start to dream, all you have to do as an adult is step out of the way because they are gonna supply their own motivation they're gonna get up, they're gonna to go to school, they're gonna see me on Saturday, because now they have aspirations of doing something. So many of our young people have stopped dreaming, even at an early age, 13, 14 and beyond. There's nothing up there in terms of what they want to do. So igniting students is uh, is necessary to just get out of their way and then let them supply the motivation. So. Every teacher everywhere needs to ignite students with giving them some possibilities and then letting the students kind of reflect on that and then try to come up with a plan to make it true.
0: You know what, it sounds like that igniting of possibilities and, and imagination, it occurs at all levels. We've been talking about igniting the student and then also the educator also coming with imagination and new and interesting approaches such as what you do, the administrators, such as the superintendent as well coming in with imagination. It's It's really important at all levels. Now, James, you know that this show the voice of leadership, is for leaders out there, mostly maybe working in a corporate setting, executives along the way. What message would you like to leave to some who perhaps might have even been your former colleagues, if you will, when you were working in corporate America? What message would you like to leave to ignite the imagination of those listeners?
1: That's a great question. I think everyone at all levels needs to be present. So If 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 anyone is out there who's listening, ask yourself, when's the last time you went into a school at any level, elementary school, middle school, high school? And when you go into the schools, what are you leaving behind? What seeds are you planting? So go in, participate, let students see you, let them understand your story. Many young people don't understand. They're looking at an adult, the adult looks good, they're dressed in a suit, and they look at you, they think you're different. So students are very interested in your personal story. What did you do? What kind of student were you when you were in school? What made you successful? Anyone who's out there in any walk of life, if you can go back into a school and just be visible, and we have adults of color, males, females, who can go back into a school and tell their story and demonstrate to young people, If I was able to do this, so can you. And here's what you're going to have to do. I always accentuate to young people the value of work and the value of getting up if you get knocked down. I would tell anyone who's out there go into a school, contribute, and also try to be consistent. So don't just go, yeah, five years ago I went into a school and I made a cameo appearance. But try to be consistent, adopt a school go into the school, talk to the young people, tell them your story, and then try to be consistent year after year to the best of your ability, even if it's once a year. Just be regular about going in. You'd be surprised how a story and seeing an adult who comes back in to give will inspire a certain percentage of the population. Now, are you gonna inspire everyone? No, but you will grab some kids on the margin who might be a little bit ambivalent about education and listening to the story of an adult, that will inspire that young person and they will remember that and go home and probably have conversations with parents and friends about the adult who came into the school and told them a story. And so now that young person is ignited. They want to emulate what you just demonstrated when you come back into the school space. So, adults have to step back in and participate in some capacity. Don't have to teach necessarily, but just go into a school and be
0: present. You know, that is just a wonderful uh, call to action on your part. Normally, I leave a homework assignment, but since you're the teacher, you left the homework assignment today. So, thank you so much, James, for being my guest on the show today and for also that call to action to all of you out there in other words we are all educators we can all make a difference by sharing and telling our stories by doing it consistently so ask yourself today where will you show up who will you inspire how will you tell your story so that you pass the leadership baton onto a much more prepared next generation. So thanks for listening. James, thanks for being here. And we'll see you next time. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks.